This is the Ask the Vet podcast series from Solar Power World. Welcome to another edition of Ask a Vet. I'm Kathy Zip, Managing Editor of Solar Power World. And today I'm excited to interview a solar vet that many of you probably know as the president and CEO of Smart Electric Power Alliance, or SEPA, Julia Hamm. So you may have seen her speak at numerous industry events about utilities and solar, but I'm hoping today maybe you'll learn something new as we discuss topics that maybe Julia doesn't always get to cover. So Julia, thank you so much for being here. Thanks for having me, Kathy. So I read that you have been the face of SEPA for 13 years. Is that correct? It is, yeah. I took over the organization in January of 2004. You must like your job to have held the position for so long. So (laughs) what do you like most about it? I do like it. I, I really love it, actually. You know, I think the most exciting thing is that things are in a constant state of change. And so people do ask me, been in the position for such a long time, you know, aren't you getting bored? Don't you want to do something else? And that's not at all how I see it. The role that SEPA plays is a very unique one, sort of being at the center of the transition that's happening with the electric power industry. And things are constantly evolving, both with SEPA as an organization and the work that we do. So that keeps it exciting and fresh every day. No two days are the same. If you ask me today what I'm going to be focused on next year, I can probably give you a a guess, but it may or may not be right because things are evolving and it's hard to predict what the future specifically is going to look like, and and that keeps it exciting. Yeah, I can definitely imagine. You know, it's, it's pretty unique to be in an industry and organization that is like that. And I do Mm -hmm. know that you worked in renewables previously to SEPA, so maybe we can kind of jump back to, I saw you went to Cornell University, so can you kind of tell me, you know, what did you study there, what did you want to do, and then kind of how you got into renewables from there? I was a business management and marketing major. I had no idea what I wanted to do. I was the same. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) When I graduated from college, I moved down to D.C., and my first job was actually doing meeting planning for a conference center that was owned by the U.S. Postal Service. Hmm. And as you you might guess, it wasn't necessarily the ideal job for me. I found myself, honestly, being pretty bored in that position. So Hmm. I was there for a little less than a year and started looking for other opportunities. I'm going to date myself by admitting that I started looking in the actual printed newspaper at the tiny little ads in the back of it. and found an advertisement for a relatively junior marketing position. Because the ad was so tiny, I had no idea what organization or even what industry the job was in. Wow. But I responded, got an interview, and it turned out that it was a position with SEPA. So working with SEPA just about a year out of college initially. So I, I really fell into the industry. I wasn't necessarily proactively looking to get into solar or clean energy specifically, But once I got in, I certainly caught the bug and and can't imagine working in a space other than the industry now. That's so crazy. What a a wonderful career has grown out of that, just kind of falling into it by accident. Kind of going back when you started at SEPA, I read that someone said you've grown a small nonprofit into a mature, vibrant, high-performing organization with significant stature in the industry. So what was SEPA like and maybe your mindset going into it as, you know, you were kind of new to the whole solar industry when you came on board and how is it different now? I'm sure it's drastically different. 
It is. So when I first started, honestly, there wasn't a solar industry in the U.S. It was very much a nascent market. Most of the activity happening with solar in the U.S. was still purely R&D-based. And so actually, a big part of SEPA's history is a lot of people don't know. This year is our 25th anniversary. And when we were founded, it was structured around a public-private partnership between SEPA and the Department of Energy that was focused on basically paying for solar hardware to get projects in the ground. And so through that partnership program, SEPA actually funded the first 1,100 grid-connected PV systems in the country. Wow. And those were really, again, very much demonstration projects. There was very few, if any, commercial projects in the ground at that point in time. You know, in those early years of SEPA and my, my involvement in SEPA was much more R&D focused. It was, you know, helping to get demonstration projects built and learning from those projects and sharing those lessons back out with the industry. And obviously, things have changed with the industry becoming, you know, a real significant player in the energy industry. When I was doing some research for this, I was reminding myself what SEPA acronym stood for, and I realized that it was a little bit different. The name actually changed a couple years ago. Is that right? Yeah, actually a little less than a year ago. We're less coming up on April. It'll be a year since we changed the name. Okay, so I'm not too so behind. We've actually, yeah, so over the, the past 25 years, we've actually had a couple of name changes. When we were founded in 92, we were originally called the Utility Photovoltaic Group, or UPBG. And then we changed our name in the year 2000 to the Solar Electric Power Association, or SEPA. And then last year, we changed the name. We kept the SEPA acronym, but changed the name to the Smart Electric Power Alliance. And the reason for that was as we're seeing higher and higher penetrations of solar on the grid, from our perspective, we believe it's really important to stop thinking about individual technologies and silos and rather think about through the holistic suite of distributed energy resources and how those have to work in collaboration in order to ensure that we still have a safe, affordable, reliable, and clean grid. Because again, going back to, to solar specifically, as we have higher and higher penetrations of solar, we can't just be thinking about solar. We have to think about other distributed energy resources and how those can help balance out the grid with these new solar assets included. So. From our organization standpoint, we really felt like it made sense both for our utility members and our solar industry members and all of our other members to really have a more holistic perspective on what was happening. And therefore, that led us to the, to the name change from the Solar Electric Power Association to the Smart Electric Power Alliance. Definitely makes sense. Smart is a representative of the future of where those technologies are going to go. We actually had a podcast a couple of years ago, and you had talked about SEPA's 51st State Initiative, and people could kind of dream up their ideal electricity market. So can you give us an update on how that initiative is going? Sure, absolutely. So we're in the third year of the initiative. So the first year, and, and for those who aren't familiar with the initiative, that the name came from this idea of if you had a brand new 51st state that was a blank slate, how would people, as you said, sort of dream up their ideal electricity market in order to optimize distributed energy resources? So the first phase in year one was focused on visions. And, and again, what were people's visions for that 51st state structure? 
And then the second phase, which was the second year of the initiative, was focused on um, still on a hypothetical 51st state, but on roadmaps and, and asking the industry to help develop roadmaps for how we get from where we are today to that future vision. And now uh, in 2017, we're into the third phase, the third year of the initiative, and there are a couple of parallel paths. Things are still going really well, uh, but a couple of parallel paths with the initiative. Both of the parallel paths are really bringing it down to reality and moving away from this theoretical 51st state. Mm -hmm. So the first parallel is uh, really an education effort on our part to shed light on some of the things that are actually happening in different places, both here in the U.S. and internationally, uh, where there is activity that is aligned with the sort of perspectives and direction of the 51st state. So, for example, um, it'll be a whole variety of things from uh, publications to blog posts to webinars to conference sessions. We, well, one of the first things that we've done that's already been released, um, we just released a publication that's an analysis of all of the DER activities that are happening in California and New York and comparing those two states and really calling out what is different between the two approaches and what's similar. And more importantly, what can be learned from those two very different states that other states should be looking at takeaways in terms of regardless of your state, regardless of where you are with DER penetration today, what things should you be considering moving forward with regardless that are going to be no regrets moves? So that's an example, really just shedding light on, in this particular instance, California and New York, and helping other states figure out what they should be learning from, from those two experiences. So that's the first path. The other path is we're in active conversations with a handful of different states about actually helping them go through the 51st state process. Part of the 51st state initiative is very much a process-focused effort in terms of highlighting the importance of a collaborative, facilitated stakeholder process in order to move the industry forward in a specific state. So we're talking to a couple of different states about being involved in, in helping bring together stakeholders to identify a common vision for their state and then develop a roadmap for how that state would get from where they are today to that vision. I think that's so interesting and, and how neat to work kind of from the ideal to, you know, the realistic um, and see, mm -hmm. those, see those plans kind of start to uh, progress. So I think that's a really cool idea. Yeah, it was important to do it in the theoretical first because it created a safe space for people to have the conversations. It, it is hard to start with talking about your own reality because it's easy to sort of get stuck in what you currently have. But when, you create, when we created this space for people to talk about hypotheticals, it was much easier to talk about what could be possible. Obviously, you're doing a lot with SEPA. I'm sure you have a very hectic travel schedule. How much time do you actually spend traveling and talking with utilities so you go all over the world? Yeah, I'm typically on the road about a third of the time. It sort of goes through waves. So I, the past couple of months, I've been here in the office most of the time, but starting in a, next week, it's, the travel is going to pick up pretty heavily. 
but about an average when you you know I've looked back over the years and and on average it's about a third of the time I end up being out and about outside of DC talking to various audiences. A lot of my time out of the office is spent meeting with utilities, either at utility industry meetings or individually with utilities, to really help them understand what's happening in the marketplace. So I'm sure over the years you have you know tons of insight that you can share working with utilities so closely, but maybe what's some of the most uh, memorable conversations you've had with the utility? Oh gosh, well, you know, one of the things that I find most interesting actually relates to a program that SEPA runs every year. So we do something that we call fact-finding missions, where we take groups of executives, including both utility executives and technology company executives, basically on week-long field trips where we go to a market where we think there is a lot to be learned for back here in the U.S. So we've been to Germany three times, we've been to Spain, Japan, Italy, Hawaii, Australia, so we've been all over the world, and it is in those intense week-long learning environments, I think, where some of the most interesting conversations happen, and in particular, you know, we, we tend to get people from all different types and sizes and geographies of utilities who participate. Mm-hmm. And so some, some utility executives come on those missions and executives from California IOUs who have a ton of experience already, all the way down to tiny little you know, municipal utilities in the middle of the country who you know, maybe have one or two grid-connected solar systems in their service territory so far. But what's fascinating to me is that regardless of the perspective that those people come into the week with, by the end of the week, everybody's perspective has changed in some way. And so it's fascinating to actually watch the learning process happen and for people to digest, you know, again, a very intense week long of learning. And by the end of the week, everybody has some takeaway that they're bringing back to their home utility that they didn't expect when they when they came into the week. That's so fascinating. I would love to be a fly on the wall during those conversations. <laughs> um, I mean, are some people kind of reluctant about solar and reluctant to come along, and you get to see those attitudes hopefully change? Yeah, yeah. We, oh, we've certainly had had that happen. Uh, a, a great example actually goes back to our first fact finding mission, which was in two thousand eight, to Germany a gentleman who then was an assistant general manager for Gainesville Regional Utilities in Florida, who had been sort of getting, in his words, you know, sort of harassed by the Germans who kept coming to Florida and telling them that they should have a feed-in tariff. And this guy from the utility said, you know, I'm going to come with you, SEPA, to Germany so that I can arm myself with, like, all of the facts and reasons to basically fight against them and tell them why they're wrong. Wow. So he came with us, and by the end of the week, he said, oh, my gosh, they're right. I'm going back <laughs> to Gainesville, and I'm creating a feed-in tariff program. Oh, my goodness. So, and I think it's pretty well known in the solar industry that Gainesville was sort of the first fully recognized feed-in tariff program in the country. But what most people don't know is that happened because of SEPA and that we took one of those utility executives to Germany and we didn't tell him feed and tariffs were good or bad. We just exposed him to it so he could form his own opinion. You can talk to people all day and try to lecture them about the benefits of solar, but when they actually see it working and talk to other people yeah. that are involved, I mean, that has to be priceless education. Yep, exactly. 
really some interesting um, things that happen on your travels, but what are some things that you do when you get to wear jeans, when you can relax? What are some of the hobbies or things that you enjoy? I have two little ones, so they take up a lot of my time. I have a son who is seven and a half and a daughter who turned six in just a couple weeks. Oh. So certainly a lot of time with them, and I've been trying to spend a lot more time recently. They just started having homework, so I do a lot of homework outside of work. (laughs) They're so close in age. Are they in the same grade or a grade apart? They're one grade apart, yeah. So it's fun. You have a boy and a girl, and and they get along really well. They're best friends, so it's very cute. But aside from them, in the old days before kids, I, I was a soccer player, but I haven't played since they came. Maybe we should have a, a SEPA soccer tournament at SPI one year. <laughs> I know we do the, the 5Ks and things like that, but maybe it's time for some yeah. soccer. <laughs> in the past few years, I have taken up golf just so that I can play in the SPI golf tournament. <laughs> oh, yes. I'm, I'm still not great with that. I can drive the golf cart, and that's about it. <laughs> but I'll work on that's that, That's all too. that's needed. Right. <laughs> Um, and then I know some other things you're involved in, too. I saw that you um, have been involved with the Cystic uh, Fibrosis Foundation for almost as long as you've been at, at SEPA. So why is that role so close to your heart? So I have a, a 15-year-old nephew who has cystic fibrosis. So I've been involved with the foundation since he was diagnosed when he was about two years old. So, yeah, it's been a, a great cause. And the foundation is, is actually a really great organization just from, you know, a nonprofit standpoint. They spend more of their donation money towards medical research than pretty much any other similar foundation. Mm-hmm. So they're very good at using the money towards what counts and use very little money towards actual sort of administration of the organization. So it's a really great group. They have a lot of fun fundraiser type things. That, that my husband and I have been involved in. Actually, one of the ones we've been most involved in just happened this past weekend. It's called the Brewer's Ball. Mm-hmm. So it's a really fun event with a lot of local and, honestly, national microbreweries with all kinds of local restaurants, food stations. So it's a really fun dress-up event at a great museum here in D.C. So, so that's always a good one. Oh, that sounds fun. I was going to ask where that was located. So D.C. event. Very cool. Yep. And again, you know, even when you're involved in solar, you're always pushing for, you know, women in solar. And I saw a tweet that you shared about photo of utility industry, meaning that was all males. So the solar industry isn't the only one that kind of pushing to get women involved. Yeah, well, you know, I think there has been a lot more emphasis in the past couple of years in just raising awareness to the issue. And that's a really great start. So I think as as people are cognizant, uh, both male and female leaders are cognizant of the issue, it's going to go a long way in terms of making sure that women are both consciously and subconsciously given the same opportunities that that men are to to progress in their careers. So, you know, I'm I'm optimistic we're going to make good progress and just keep moving forward. Yeah, I, I definitely see a lot more women in different roles at the solar shows than I used to, other than just, you know, maybe marketing contacts and things like that. So yeah. I know there's some great women-led um, solar installation companies and lots of solar businesses. So that's definitely exciting to see. And also, Sia's new president is a woman. Abby is great. I've actually known Abby for a number of years now, since back when she was at the Maryland Energy Administration. Oh, so wonderful. I am extremely excited to work with her more directly uh, she and I have a great relationship. She is a very collaborative person, 
And so, you know, that, that makes me very excited to not only continue working on the partnership we have on SPI and the other SPI-branded regional events, but also other opportunities for CEPA and SIA to work together. That's great that you have a background, so you're already familiar with yeah. working together. And you said, you know, partnering on SPI and SEPA obviously founded SPI 12 years ago. So I was wondering if maybe we could talk about that for a minute, what the first SPI was like, and then maybe some of your memorable moments at the show. Yeah, so it was back in 2004, and there obviously there had been plenty of solar conferences before that first SPI, but I think SPI was really unique in that it was the first true trade show for the industry. And what made it so successful, I think, was my collaborative approach of pulling together uh, a big group. I pulled together probably 50 different leaders in the then very early U.S. solar market to help design and structure and recruit and market the event. Right from the very beginning, the industry talked about it as their event, very personalized, personal ownership over it, which was exactly what was needed. So for a first-time show, it was great. We had about 1,100 attendees and I think about 65 exhibitors, but nothing like today's SPI. It was in San Francisco, uh, actually in terms of memorable moments. So it's actually in the middle of a hotel strike in San Francisco. Oh, wow. And so it was the whole thing was supposed to be at one of the hotels in San Francisco but none of the city employees or California state employees were allowed to cross the picket line. So we actually had to move significant portions of the event to other places like PG&E's auditorium and you know, other venues outside the hotel so that we could make sure that all of the key government leaders from California could participate. Out of our control situation where, where we were using multiple locations within a few block radius, even though the event was quite small, but it still turned out to be great and really was, you know, just the beginning of the momentum that, that made SPI such the great event that it is today. Yeah, I mean, I can't imagine all those, you know, players in, the, in one room for the first time and how excited they must have been and all the different things that they would be able to share, so... That's definitely been a, yeah. a very important part of our industry. I know that that's where I have some great conversations and get some great ideas for stories and learn a lot. So we always look forward to it for sure. There's always some celebrities around. So are there any of your favorites that you've gotten to meet? Probably my the highlight for me was, was when Bill Clinton came back in, I don't remember what year it was now, 2011, yeah, <laughs> 12, 13, yeah, 13 maybe. Oh, wow. Yeah, maybe. So that was great, obviously. It was an honor to be able to meet him, and I got to introduce him on stage. You know, one of the, one of the interesting things for me, with having all of these celebrities who over the years have come to speak at SPI, that's fascinating to me is to get to meet them in the morning or before the general session starts and sort of see them preparing before they go on stage. And I'm always so surprised. Well, I'm not surprised anymore, but I was definitely surprised as, as sort of I've watched things unfold with how people who are on stage all the time, um, how nervous they are. Even really? people who, this is like what they do, that people are, you know, have different little routines they follow and spend a lot more time backstage preparing than I expected. It's a good, you know, just learning for people that even people who are on stage and seem so put together and so comfortable 
so many of them are actually so nervous before they get up there. So that that was really interesting for me to watch with people like Bill Clinton and others and, and actually see what their routine is in the, you know, 10 minutes before they go on stage. Right. Maybe, you know, just being in a different role. I mean, being president, you would think that it's second nature to speak in front of people. And he did an excellent job. Yeah, but he, you know, before he went on, he had his papers and he was studying his facts. And, you know, obviously he got up there and he was able to rattle stuff off. Yeah. Well, thank you for all your hard work, Julia. And thank you for speaking with me today. I've definitely gotten to know a lot more about SEPA and you personally. And thank you for sharing all your insight and um, a little bit of yourself with our readers. Absolutely. Thanks so much. This has been another edition of Ask a Vet. Join us each month as I, editor Kathy Zip, bring you the unique perspectives and insights of those who have spent more than a decade in solar. Thanks for listening to the Solar Power World podcast. Join us online for more podcasts, videos, and great editorial content at solarpowerworldonline.com. And don't forget to share your thoughts on social media. Catch you next month.